So last year, actually, when we were in D.C. for the ALSA convention, we both got our first tattoos. And it reads, Be Brave, in my mother's handwriting. And it sets a permanent reminder for both of us, hopefully. So since our first tattoo, we have decided to get a tattoo every year after my mom's diagnosis. And we're hopeful that one day our bodies will be covered in tattoos. Hello and welcome to another episode of Connecting ALS. I am one of your hosts, Mike Stevenson, and I am joined by my co-host and colleague in North Carolina, Jeremy Holden. Hello to you, sir. Hello, Mike. How are you today? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks. I'm excited that we're now into May and it is Mother's Day week. And for this week's show, with Mother's Day happening on Sunday, we wanted to dedicate some time to wonderful mothers everywhere. And in the context of the podcast, to talk about how ALS changes so many elements of a family's life, including traditions like Mother's Day. So we brought in Elizabeth McCormick, who goes by Betsy, and her daughter, Maya Bulmer, who live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and were willing to talk to us about how Betsy's ALS diagnosis impacted their family dynamic and ways in which they're making the most of their time together, including some of their Mother's Day traditions. It was very generous of them to let our listeners in on that piece of their lives, Jeremy. It was. And, you know, Betsy and Maya were generous twice over now because last year during the ALS Association's annual advocacy conference, Maya sat with our colleague Sandra Sullivan and shared her story at that point in their journey. And as our listeners will hear, it was relatively early in Betsy's ALS diagnosis. And it was interesting to hear both Betsy and Maya reflect on how their perspective has changed a little bit just in the last 12 months, but really couldn't be more thankful and grateful for them to to share their story with us. They have a, a really sweet and loving relationship, and that came through in the interview. We're looking forward to sharing that with you all. So with that, let's give a listen to our conversation with Betsy and Maya. We are grateful today to be joined by Betsy McCormick and Maya Balmer. Betsy, Maya, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having us here, Jeremy. Yeah, thank you. For our listeners who don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves and your connection to ALS. Thanks, Jeremy. This is Betsy, and Maya is my daughter, and she's one of three kids. And my husband and my kids and I live here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And in January of 2019, so January of last year, I was diagnosed with ALS. At the time I was diagnosed, I really didn't have significant symptoms and had only been suffering from anything that I would recognize as a symptom for a couple of months before I got my diagnosis. So I went to a neurologist on January 10th of last year, someone who I'd never met before, who was not involved in my care in any way. And after about a two hour examination, he gave me the diagnosis that I had ALS. I was accompanied with one of my sisters and it was a pretty, it was a pretty dark moment. Uh, we spent a long time sitting in the office crying and I kept asking him, well, he, what he said to me was ALS is 100% fatal. The average lifespan is two to five years after diagnosis. He did not recommend that I take either of the approved drugs for ALS because he didn't think they would significantly impact the course of my disease. And he essentially told me 
to make my bucket list and start getting my affairs in order. Wow. So, you know, I was 55 years old. I have three teenage kids. My daughter was a senior in high school. My other boys were 15 and 13. And I, you know, I, it's indescribable what that kind of unexpected diagnosis can bring. And, you know, honestly, I, for several months after I got the diagnosis, I lived in a pretty dark place, at least in my head. I mean, I tried mm-hmm. to have a, a strong front for my kids. Mm-hmm. And I was determined to live every day to the fullest, but I had no hope at all or expectation that I would live to see a day when ALS might be treatable. I was pretty hopeless and I didn't think there was much I could do to change the inevitable outcome. And that's pretty much where I was in June when we were at the ALS conference. But since that time, and since that time, my disease has progressed some. When, when we were in D.C. in June, I was using a walker, but I was, I was struggling to, to walk. I had limb onset, so the ALS appeared first in my feet. Mm-hmm. And I now use a wheelchair 100% of the time. So my disease has progressed, but the other thing that has changed since last June is my outlook about my future. It's really changed dramatically. I really now have hope about meaningful treatment for ALS, and I'm determined to make sure that those treatments are made available to people living with ALS in the nearest future that I can possibly help to make that happen. I was really fortunate to be one of the 200 participants in the brainstorm clinical trial for neuron. And though I don't know for certain the trial is ongoing and I don't know whether or not I was part of the placebo group, I will tell you that since I got my first injection, my disease has stopped progressing and I'm grateful for that. I don't know if I got neuron, but I'm hopeful that neuron and other promising and proven treatments in the pipeline will get to people living with ALS soon, and that finally ALS will be a treatable disease, a chronic disease, like diabetes, like heart disease, like some forms of cancer, and it won't be a death sentence for all of us. Thank you for offering that perspective, Betsy, and for opening up about your experience of the diagnosis and where ALS has taken you since. I can't imagine how difficult it was to receive that news and for your family to process that news and I'm glad to hear that you have had access to some clinical trial developments and that you have been able to experience that and that you've been able to advocate and and meet others living with the disease and that it has helped kind of form your new perspective about what's possible with future treatments and the hope that we all have that ALS will, will one day be a chronic disease. Maya, can you tell us a little bit about how your perspective has changed since your mom's diagnosis and how, you know, any sort of assumptions that you had about the disease when she was diagnosed or what you knew about it and kind of where your head is at now? So as my mom was saying, like, we're in a very different place now than we were a year ago in both terms of like her progression, but also how I and like my family have adapted to face the new challenges that the disease has brought to us. So first of all, ALS forced me to reconsider like the things that once were like of little thought to me, like the lack of accessibility in places that I go with my family or things that we like to do, especially since my mom is now 
bound to a wheelchair, that has really opened my eyes and made me consider like the last 18 years of my life, I haven't really thought about the lack of awareness for people living with a disability, especially just in the kind of things that I do. I took it for granted. Definitely for me and my family, last year when I was at the ALSA convention, I talked about how this disease is so uncertain and, you know, the progression and how long it's going to last. And for each person, it's different. And that it changed me to think about my future and what I wanted to do, what I wanted my future to look like compared to the rest of my family. And definitely in a year with help from my family and my friends, I've learned to realize that the uncertainty of this disease hasn't stopped my family and I from living past tomorrow. So just because no one can tell us how this disease will affect my mother, we haven't stopped making plans for the future. So even though we don't know what tomorrow brings, we know that we want to be ready for it and we want to live as if we have a thousand tomorrows. Wow, that's great. Maya, you mentioned some of the uncertainty about what tomorrow holds. We're having this conversation and at a time of a global health pandemic, a lot of the country is shut down in different ways. We would be remiss if we didn't ask, how is COVID impacting you all just in general? And then of course, as part of your journey with ALS. Definitely COVID-19 has impacted the world significantly. For us, it's definitely brought us closer together, spent a lot of time with each other the last couple of weeks, month or so. It's I mean, mom, do you have anything to say on this? I know that you had some thoughts. A couple of things occurred to me about being a person living with ALS during the time of quarantine. The first thing for me is that I probably have a different outlook on sheltering in place with my family than others do. Because in a way, quarantine provided me with an unexpected gift of time with my family that I wouldn't otherwise have. Mm. And I don't, again, I'm, I'm not trying to think about that time as, oh, this is our last time together. I'm thinking about it in the sense of, wow, what a wonderful opportunity to just enjoy being around my kids who might otherwise have better ways to spend their time than to hang out with me. It's not really a struggle for me to be at home and spend time with my husband and kids. The other piece, and I can't really speak to this because I'm fortunate that my disease is not progressed to this stage, but it is really important, I think, in this time when we're all enduring this enforced shelter in place, is the idea that for someone who's living with ALS and who is in the advanced stages of ALS and who has, who has lost the ability to communicate, to eat, to breathe, to move any part of their body, that kind of imprisonment is something that, that folks living with ALS are enduring every day. And it's a good opportunity for us to acknowledge some of, even on a really minuscule level, the deprivations that are endured every day by someone who is living with ALS and is at these advanced stages of ALS. So maybe it will give all of us an opportunity and especially this month to gain a little bit of understanding and feel a little bit of empathy for folks 
who are in many ways in lockdown 100% of the time. That's a really good point, Betsy. And we, we've talked to a few other folks living with ALS about how they're coping during the pandemic. And, and isolation has come up a lot, how for many people living with a disease like ALS, isolation becomes part of their life increasingly as their disease progresses. And now to be have an extra layer of isolation enforced by the general public in the situation that we're in with the pandemic, it can be a very anxious time, very difficult time for a lot of folks. And, and you mentioned communication and, and finding ways to continue communicating with loved ones and caregivers and care providers. That's something that everyone is thinking about and something the ALS Association is working hard to make sure still happens. And pandemic has thrown a wrench in a lot of those plans. And I liked what you said about um, empathy and awareness during this time, because it's important that we all recognize that and, and think especially about families living with ALS during the pandemic, families like yours. Maya, during your interview uh, last year, you talked a little bit about that you and your mom used to like to run together. And these days with your mother's mobility challenges and some of the uh, things that the disease had taken from her, how are the two of you and the rest of your family finding new ways to spend time together and new activities to participate in together? Yeah. So even though we aren't able to run together anymore, my mom and I still managed to spend time with one another. We've always done that. And now with COVID-19, we're spending all of our time together. Nowadays, we spend time in our garden, planting vegetables and flowers. We, you know, binge watch movies and British crime dramas. Before the social distancing was set in place, we would occasionally get, you know, the odd mani-pedi. But actually, since my mom's diagnosis, we have found like a new passion in tattoos. So my mother and I have always had like very different stances on tattoos. She definitely was not a big fan of them. Didn't really like the idea of me ever getting any. But after she was diagnosed last year, that suddenly changed. So I wanted to get a tattoo in honor of the strong woman my mother was or is. <laughs> but you could imagine my shock when she actually decided that she wanted to get one with me as well. So last year, actually, when we were in D.C. for the ALSA convention, we both got our first tattoos and it reads, Be Brave in my mother's handwriting. And it sets a permanent reminder for both of us, hopefully. So since our first tattoo, we have decided to get a tattoo every year after my mom's diagnosis. And we're hopeful that one day our bodies will be covered in tattoos. So that's, you know, something that we've decided to do together since we can't run anymore. We'll, we'll do this, you know, so. That's incredible. I love the be brave and the use of Betsy's handwriting. That's just wonderful. Some good mother-daughter bonding moments in there. Of course, one of the reasons you're here with us today is Sunday is Mother's Day. What does Mother's Day historically looked like for you all? Any special traditions around Mother's Day? What's in store? So usually since Mother's Day is always a Sunday, we would go to church. You know, I graduated last year, but up until then, I had always been in the church choir. So my mother would come with my, the rest of my family and they would listen to me sing. Our church has a tradition of everyone bringing flowers to create this giant bouquet. And that once we leave, we each take a home a different flower, which symbolizes our connection to everyone. We usually go out for lunch, just spend time together. Um, usually whatever mom wants us to do, hopefully, you know, with minimal arguing involved. So 
<laughs> yeah, Betsy, how much say have you had in, in Mother's Day plans in the past? Do they, does the family kind of recognize this should be your day and you get to call the shots and determine activities? Or do you kind of ask for consensus on, on what should be done on Mother's Day? Yeah, you know, I, in my pre-ALS life, when I was much more active and had more responsibility for some of the day-to-day grind of parenting that that my husband has now taken on. Mother's Day for me was really just about relaxing. You know, we'd go out to brunch, we'd go to the park, we'd hang out, we'd have a barbecue. It was never really a big deal, except that, you know, I knew it was one guilt-free day for me to not have to worry about unloading the dishwasher. So <laughs> that was enough for me. I, I, I wasn't too demanding in terms of, in terms of my mother's days. Mm-hmm. And now these days, ALS is obviously a part of your family's life. And, and the, we've been talking about the pandemic and how you've, you've had this time living together in a different way. Are you planning anything special for this Sunday or is it just going to be, you know, let, let's try and enjoy the day as a family, maybe binge watch something? What's on the what's on the menu? Well, this Mother's Day actually will be different for us than many Mother's Days because my mother, my kid's grandmother is going to be coming up from her home in Texas to Tulsa oh, and we'll be spending wow. some time in Tulsa. So we'll have her here. So we'll have three generations in the house for Mother's Day, which we haven't had in a in a long time but mm. i will say that funnily enough i hope that otherwise mother's day is not going to change because of my als diagnosis my biggest worry when i was first diagnosed was that our family and our kids in particular would be living under this cloud of als i didn't want that worry to dominate our lives i didn't want our kids to behave differently mm-hmm. toward me because of that and I was just commenting to a friend the other day that my children seem to be, you know, rolling pretty well with my diagnosis. They're the, they're the same wonderful, funny, loving and imperfect people that they've always <laughs> been. I couldn't love them more, but I am happy that they're not letting my diagnosis hold them back from loving life. Again, our deepest gratitude to Betsy McCormick and Maya Balmer for sharing uh, their story about their journey with ALS. Really start to see the relationship with mom, something that is front of mind for all of us as we head into Mother's Day weekend and, and see how ALS is impacting that family. Just really wonderful people and just a wonderful family. It was great to hear from them and a really nice story and I think something that will carry us nicely into Mother's Day weekend. That is all that we have for you today. We would love it if you subscribe to Connecting ALS at connectingals.org or on your favorite pod streaming app. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter for the latest content and to share feedback about the show. We'd really like to hear from you if you have thoughts. This episode was produced by Garrett Tiedemann of the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. Thank you for listening. We hope you all have a peaceful Mother's Day weekend and we look forward to connecting with you again soon. 